0: The following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. As Christians, we are not sinless, but we ought to sin less, right? Uh, and for you, maybe you feel that's true. Honestly, sometimes I, I wonder you know, if I really sin less. Part of the issue is that as we grow in Christ, we become more aware of what sin is. So things that before I never would have dreamed of as being sinful, I, I now know are dishonoring to God. So the, the list gets longer, so to speak. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, it seems that uh, I still battle every day with sin. And uh, I remember being younger, looking to age 50, 60, 70, and I thought, you know, old people probably just really don't struggle with sin. But uh, that I'm getting to be an old person. I realized that's just not true. And I have counsel with people much older than me who have talked about just the pressure and intensity of the same temptations throughout their life. Uh, we are set free from sin. And praise God, there is grace. Uh, and the good news is that Whatever, wherever we fail, wherever we fall short, wherever we sin, uh, as it says in Romans uh, uh, 5, chapter, verses 20-21, God's grace is sufficient. His grace, where sin increases, His grace increases more and more. Uh, but Paul asked the question in verse 1 of chapter 6, does that mean we can just keep going on sinning and not worry about it? And in chapters 6, 7, and 8, he really answers and deals with that question sure we've been saved, we've been forgiven, but does that mean we just keep going on living our life sinning? Well, uh, obviously we all know that can't be, That there has to be some change. And so Paul carefully explains uh, how that change takes place and what it means to walk in a new kind of life. And a key term that really rules through these three chapters is in the end of verse 5 where it says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sin more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead. And so what we're really talking about in these three chapters is what it means to be ruled by grace and what effect that has on our sinfulness, on our desire for sin. And so Paul picks the discussion up, uh, and we'll read down verses 1 through 6 in chapter 6. He said, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of this incredible grace? Well, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism or conversion, we joined with Him in His death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live a new kind of life. And we looked last week and talked about kind of the broad picture of what that looks like. That on the grand scale, what God is talking about, or what Paul is talking about here, is not so much the small specific sins that we fall into day by day, but there's a sense in which when we died with Christ and became new creatures in him, we live a new kind of life where we long for relationship with God. That the chief sin, all the way back in Romans chapter one was that they did not worship God or give him thanks, that all mankind, <coughs> excuse me, lives uh, alienated from God and doesn't want to be close to God. And what fundamentally changed when we came to Christ, is that now we long for relationship with God. So the big picture for us ha- uh, should certainly have changed. And if you're a person who calls yourself a Christian, but honestly you don't care anything about God, you never long to worship or follow Him, there's nothing about you that that is drawn to relationship with Him, uh, then you would question or wonder, have you really come to Christ? <clears throat> but the reality is that uh, if we have come to Christ, that uh, that old person that, that wanted nothing to do with God died, was crucified with Christ, and now we are alive, awake to Him. And so for all of us, no matter what specific daily sins we struggle with, no matter what habits of sin we find ourselves falling into, there ought to be a fundamental shift inwardly of who we are in relationship to Christ. That some part of us longs to know Him and worship and love Him. And so we show up, places like this on Sunday morning, and we sing praise songs. Uh, Not just because we like the music. If we did that, we'd go to you know a Sting concert or whatever your favorite band is. I don't know. Uh, We do it because we love and honor and worship God, because we want to connect with Him. Uh, But then as we go through the rest of the chapter, the, the truth is that while that is true, it is also true that there is something in us uh, that needs to change in relation to those daily specific sins. Uh, in other words, the habits that we uh, practice before we came to Christ, the things we are tempted by, needs to change. And uh, we, should be ex- uh, we should be sinning less. Right? Um, so how does that happen? Well, Paul's going to explain at great length how that happens. Uh, and it's really important as we, as we launch into this. We're going to look this week... At one side, next week we're going to look at another side. But the two sides are this. The first side, the most important side, is what God has done to break sin's power in our life. And, uh, and this is real important that Paul starts here. And, and this is the most important aspect or part of conquering sin. Uh, God did something fundamentally, foundationally, and permanently to change our relationship with sin. And anybody who wants to overcome sin has to understand that and walk in that first. Uh, then, of course, there are things that we do. There are things that we are responsible for in our decisions, in our behavior, our attitude, uh, that flows out of what Christ has already done. So what I want to do is look at this week and focus on what it exactly is that God has accomplished for us to make sin less powerful and less effective in our life, less of a temptation, if you will. Um, And this is what he says, uh, starting in verse 5. He says, We've been united with Him in this death. We will also be raised to life as He was. We know that our old sinful, sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we shall live with Him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and He will never die again. Death no longer has any power over Him. When He died, He died once for all to break the power of sin. But now that He lives, He lives for the glory of God. So what does that look like in our own life? Uh, Well, there's some key terms and words here. And one of the reasons we're going to get kind of bogged down in verse 6 is we need to be clear about what these words mean. And uh, throughout... Uh, recent history of the church, there's been a lot of interesting teaching about what died, uh, what, what that means, um, what these parts of our being are that somehow have died, have re, 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 uh, been made new. So let's look at, at verse 6 and, and uh, roll up close and personal. Uh, it says that we died to sin. Okay, We died to sin. Uh, How many of you feel dead to sin? You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) Think about it. How many of you feel dead to sin? Well, honestly, I don't feel that dead to sin. Uh, Some sins I feel quite dead to. Some sins still have great appeal and lure for me. Uh, Some sins still feel uh, quite intriguing to me. I still get tempted. Surprise, right? And probably all of us do. We get tempted by something. There are things that can hook us. And could easily drag us away into what we know to be sinful, wrong, against God. But but Paul says here that we've died with we've died to sin. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, let's look carefully at the verse. He says, specifically, in verse six, he says, We know that uh, our old man, our old man, literally, was crucified with Christ. Well, what exactly is this old man? Uh, who was crucified with Christ. Well, you may have some, some translations actually translate it this way. They call it the old nature. And for a long time, that was kind of a common teaching and belief that, um, that you know, we receive from Adam a sinful nature, that uh, we were born into sin, which means there is something in us that drives us to sin, a nature, a characteristic, a character flaw that longs to do evil. And that when we died, that old nature was crucified and is no longer in our life. And so we no longer have that nature. Uh, We have a new nature that now just wants to please and serve God. Uh, The problem is, the Bible never uses those words. Nowhere in Scripture does it talk about what was crucified, what we were before, as being simply a nature. And the, the second problem is that when we sin, it's not our nature that sins. It's all of us that sin, Right? Uh, when I sin, when I do something uh, wrong, it's a joint effort. <laughs> All of me participates, right? Uh, my hands don't go off and steal things by themselves, and my mind go, oh, my goodness, I had no idea, right? All right? My will doesn't go, you know, I really didn't want to, and the hand just leaped off and grabbed that stuff and took it, and I was screaming the whole time, no, don't. Right? That doesn't work that way. We're whole beings that work together as a as a, as a unit, Right? And it works more like this. My mind, my eyes see something I want, and my mind goes, wow, that's way cool. This is me. This, by the way, was me when I was in about seventh grade. Uh, that's way cool. I would love that big, gigantic chocolate bar that's the size of a suitcase, right? And, uh, and I would start, my mind would start thinking, you know, you could have that. And another part of my mind says, yeah, but I don't have money. And the other part of my mind says, that's okay, no problem. You can just steal it, right? And then my will goes, ooh, yeah, I think that's a good plan. And my will gets involved, and my thoughts get involved, and my eyes get involved, and then all of a sudden my hand just reaches out, grabs it, sticks it in my pocket, and I walk out the door, right? It's a joint effort, right? All of me is complicit in what, given my sin nature wanted, all of me joined in readily and said, yeah, that's a good idea. So the old self is really all of us, okay? The old self is all that we used to be in Adam before Christ. It was all of the what made up who we were. Um, so, so what does that mean? Who who was I in Christ? Well, we are made up of all of our parts, our thoughts, my mind, my ideas. So it's my ideas, my perceptions, my fantasies, my dreams. Right? And what I was in those things before Christ was very self-centered. My thoughts were full of lies and deception. Uh, my thoughts were full of envy and jealousy and hate. Right. Uh, my thinking was idolatrous in that I, I either made up God in, in my own image, I conceived of a God the way I wanted Him to be, or if the God of the Bible was so far off I couldn't accept that, I would create other gods, other things to worship and serve and follow. Right. So that's, that was my old mind, my old thinking. Uh, I, I was a will. I had... Uh, um, The plan and purpose the intention to do things on my own I made my own choices and I set my own purpose and direction for my life and before Christ what that meant is I was stubborn I was extremely independent I didn't want to depend on anybody else I wanted to go my own way and most of all I want to be in control of my own life I did not want God, my parents authority, anybody ultimately telling me what to do right our will wants to be firmly in control of our own existence, uh, and and as a result, we are absolutely un, unbending and unyielding to the will of God. Right? In fact, that's one of the big obstacles with many people coming to Christ. They don't want God governing their life, right? And we know that to come to Christ, we uh, that has to die, and we have to get a new will that's willing to bend to, to bow to the will of God. Uh, I am made up of my affections, my heart, the things that I love, and how I feel about the things that I love, and how I need to be loved. Uh, what that meant in the old man was this. What I love more than anything else, besides chocolate, was myself. Okay, so myself even ranked out ranked chocolate, actually. Uh, we love ourselves above everything, above everyone and every every everything. Uh, I'm driven by my need to... to Receive and be loved. And uh, people say, yeah, but before I was a Christian, you know, say people do lots of good things. I know some very benevolent, generous, loving people who don't know Christ. But the truth is, if you could, which only God can do, trace the motives all the way through. Before Christ, all of our loving and giving had strings attached. It always has strings attached, right? Sometimes it still has strings attached. I do good for other people. I'm generous and benevolent and loving because I'm convinced it'll pay off. I'll get something back in the end. It will work out for me. People will love me if I love them enough. I'll get something back. So that was the old me. That's who we were. And Scripture says clearly that this old man, this old person was crucified with Christ, was nailed to the cross with Christ. Uh, well, what does that mean? Uh, when Jesus died, we know that he hung on the cross and the Bible says that he took on himself all of our sins, that through his death and sacrifice, he purchased our forgiveness by paying the penalty for our sin. Uh, and we all see that as kind of the core, well, I hope we see that as the, the core of the gospel, that, uh. That the most significant thing God did to bring us to Himself was to send His Son to die to pay the penalty for our sins, and we see that really as the entry point of relationship with God. That we come to the cross, we confess our our moral failure, our sin. We acknowledge that Jesus paid that price and has forgiven me, so I'm washed, cleansed, and washed and cleansed. And as Paul says up in chapters one through five, we're now justified. We are in right relationship with God through the cross and through Jesus' gift. Uh, but here Paul adds another dimension or element of what Jesus did on the cross. Not only did did Jesus take upon himself our sins, all of them, but it says actually that uh, in some strange and mysterious way, I wouldn't even begin to try to explain, when Jesus died on the cross, uh, at the point at which we come to conversion, God takes the old me and identifies that old me uh, with Christ's death on the cross. So in Jesus dying in death in his pain and suffering and crucifixion, that everything that was me before Christ also dies with him. Now, uh, this is true but not literal. Okay, it's true but not literal. It doesn't mean that, you know, for some kind of microsecond my body and my whole being is kind of time warped back to you know Jesus on the cross, and for some Brief second, I'm like connected to him, and suffer, and, and everything dies there, and then I get time warped back to this present time. It's not like that, okay? Uh, it's not literal. We don't literally die. Our, our bodies don't like stop beating for a microsecond. We kind of get revived back on. It's not like that, okay? It's not, it's not science fiction, all right? It is true though, uh, in God's in God's conception of us, in our standing and position before Him. In a very real and true sense, everything I was before Christ was killed. Was killed with Christ on the cross. It was crucified. It was destroyed. Right? It was put to death. So who I was before is is gone, is wiped out. Is uh, is crucified with Christ. Um, you know, I wrestle with uh, what that means, what that looks like, how we can. Um, how I could explain this. And to be honest, I have no idea. And I wouldn't even want to pretend that I understand this because I don't. Uh, But but let me give this one parallel to help maybe put it in perspective. Uh, Romans 5, Paul talks about how we all sinned. When did we all first sin? Some would say, well, you know, age of accountability, age 12. You know, when you first made some willful choice... But what does Paul actually say in Romans 5? When did we all actually sin? When was our first sin? Well, it was long before we were born, right? It was long before anybody was born. Paul says in verse 15 in Romans 5, he says, The free gift is not like the trespass. For if many die through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of that grace come by the one man, Jesus Christ. We all sinned in Adam, Paul says somehow i don 't know how, but we participated with Adam in his sin, and we died with him that day. We died with Adam in a very real sense, not a, not a literal sense. we weren't in the garden all eating the fruit together, but in a very real spiritual sense, we participated with Adam in his sin right? well, same thing's true in the picture with Jesus Jesus' death on the cross somehow through god 's power, when we put our faith and trust in him, and we we come to Christ. God takes the old us and that old us participates in some strange way and Christ's death annihilates and puts away what we were before. Amen? That old you is gone. Right? Praise God for that. Right? Uh, I was not a nice person before. And uh, nobody knows how not a nice person I was except for me and God. Horrible things I did, the wickedness in my heart. That person is completely, fully done away with in the cross of Christ. One of the most powerful things of the gospel. uh, Not only did God, through Christ, atone for our past sins, but He put away completely our former life. So it is dead, ineffective, gone. We died with Christ, and who we were before is destroyed. And he says that we now become new creatures in Christ. We are born again. He doesn't talk about that here, but uh, Jesus talks about being born of the Spirit. We get spiritual birth. We become a new person, a new creature in Christ. Uh, And he does use the language here, of being raised up with Christ to a new kind of life, a new being, right? So we have that, a new being, a new life with him. Um, I just want to take a short uh, commercial break and emphasize uh, the importance of the gospel, right? All too often we, we see the gospel as the entry point to the Christian life, kind of the ticket to ride, right? Uh, Jesus died on the cross. If I believe Jesus died on the cross, if I accept the gospel, it's my ticket to get on the train ride to heaven. But once I get the ticket and get on the train, I'm kind of on my own. And I, I leave the station and leave the cross behind. But if you remember, we talked about this as we started our study of Romans. Romans says, uh, Paul says to the Roman church, to the Roman church, to Roman believers, I can't wait to come to you and teach and proclaim to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, because you need the gospel. Well, why would he say that to believers, to people who have already received and accepted Christ? Well, simply because we need the gospel as much to walk every day with Christ as we needed to get on the train to get entrance into relationship with God. Right? If you want to overcome sin if you want to see the power of sin diminished in your life, it only comes through the cross. It only comes through the gospel of Christ. The the second we move away from gospel-centeredness, Christ-centeredness, cross-centeredness in our life, and we start trying to overcome sin by our discipline and our hard work and our, our goodness, it is over. It is over. Right? Uh, Paul spends all these verses explaining carefully what God has done to overcome the power of sin in our life. And what God has done has sent Christ to die on the cross for us. And in that, we participate with his death. Right? Oh, fun background music. <laughs> wow. Um, so, read again. He says, um, We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. Uh, we are no longer slaves of sin. So, so we were crucified. Uh, then he, he talks about what, what the purpose of that is to be. And he says the purpose is literally that uh, the body of sin might be rendered powerless. Okay, that the body of sin might be rendered powerless. Uh, why is it we had to die? And why is it that the old person had to be crucified with Christ? Well, so he says simply that had to happen in order that the body of sin might lose its power. Well, then the question is: Okay, well, what is this body of sin? What is this? Uh, of course, the most natural explanation would be that it is our physical body, that uh, the body we we have, we live and breathe with, is our body of sin. Uh, there's a dangerous road to go down here, though. Uh, the Greeks and uh, a lot of other Gnostics and other heresies believe that uh, in, in dualism. You know what dualism is? It means there's two sides. Uh, one is the world, physical, fleshly side of life. And then there's the soul or spiritual side. And the Greeks and other Christian groups like them uh, had this idea that the, the physical side is evil and the spiritual side is good. Buddhism kind of has this idea as well. And, the, and true redemption means fleeing from the physical and escaping into the spiritual. Right? Uh, some forms of, of many Christian groups also kind of fall into this. Where the idea is that my body is evil and bad right and that someday uh, this body will be destroyed, will be killed and I'll be set free from sin and evilness, which is this body and I'll, I'll be transferred into the spiritual realm where I'll float on a cloud with wings and be like a spiritual butterfly and never have sin again right the well, problem is that's not biblical and it's not even true and it's not even at all what the scripture says right Our bodies were created by God. Uh, Genesis chapter one and it was good. It was good, right? Our bodies are good. Uh, when we die, we will be resurrected in new bodies, right There's nothing inherently sinful about our body in itself. So then what does he mean by the body of sin? <clears throat> well, uh, I really think what he what he means here is just like the old man is really the whole of who we are. Uh, body, soul, mind, spirit. Uh, when the old man was done away with, the old life was gone, but the body remains. We're still body, soul, mind, and and uh, and thought and will, right? And heart, affections. We're still human, right? Uh, the body of sin is really uh, the whole of what we are, living here on earth, interacting with this world, right? So we're still, uh, we're still, we still have a mind that thinks, we still have a will that chooses. We still have a body that interacts every day with the world around us. And the world around us is full of sin. So even though the old man died, sin didn't die. Okay, uh, It's still living and active. We can all affirm that, right? It's everywhere around us. We live in a world ruled and governed by the prince of the power of the air, darkness, right? Uh, sin lives around us everywhere. And our body, this body, must interact every day and interface in a world where sin uh, is present. Right. So what that means is that even though we've been made made new, born of the Spirit, this new person still lives in the same old body, same old heart, same old mind, uh, same old will. And what it means is that this body still has the same capacity for sin that it did before. Uh, Becoming new doesn't mean that all of a sudden my brain no longer can think evil thoughts. I I can speak from experience. My brain can think of lots of evil thoughts. Amen? Anybody? Uh, My tongue can still say incredibly stupid and hurtful things. Uh, My eyes still work just like they did before. When a beautiful girl walks by without very many clothes on, my eyes are drawn to that just like they were before. Right? Uh, sin still has uh, the opportunity to affect our body just as it did before. So when the girl goes by, uh, my eyes, my mind, my will, my emotions have to somehow do something with that girl. Right? Christian or not, holy or not, all right? as long as I can see, it's going to be a problem. Because it's going to put temptations before me. Uh, <clears throat> If uh, if you like reading romance novels, and uh, you know you read about this super heroic guy who's the most caring, sensitive, loving guy who just makes you know meets the every whim of a woman, and and a woman thinks, man, I wish my husband was like that. I want I want that guy to be my husband, right? And you you must interact with that. Okay, you must deal with the fantasies that that creates in your mind, right? You must. Um, interface with that reality or that fantasy. Um, you go back to your home country and you're on home assignment and you're traveling around visiting churches and you get put up in the house of this really wealthy person who's got this sprawling mansion with big screen TVs and hot tubs and plush carpet and you go, wow, you know, my house back in Thailand isn't quite like this, right? And uh, this is Nice. I mean, this is really nice. I could, I could live here, right? Beautiful view, uh, good food. They speak your language. Yeah, I could do this. I could do this, right? And your body, your life, your heart, your mind has to interact and interface with materialism, with wealth, with comfort, with all those things, right? That's the body of sin. It doesn't mean that it's, it has to sin, but it means the parts of us that every day have to interface with a sinful world, and deal with what it means to be here. Deal with the temptation. Um, and it, you know, it would be real nice if we could just all become Christians, go off, and live in a dark cave somewhere, where we're never exposed to any of that. But Jesus didn't say go off and live in a dark cave and, and cut yourself off in the world. He said, I want you to go out and live in the world, but be not of the world. I want you to be a light in the darkness, but not be overcome by the darkness. I want you to shine, right? So the reality is uh, the body of sin is the part of us that's got to deal with that every day. Right? And we know what that is. And you know in your own life the things that you deal with, the things that when they when they come across your eyes or ears or thoughts or heart, right, maybe you need to be in control. Maybe what you struggle with is when you're not in control, bad things happen. And so you struggle with interacting, how can I gain control, right? uh, Many, many things. That's the body of sin. And the body of sin, though, is not inherently evil. It's just the part of us that will sin if we do, that is drawn and tempted to sin. So notice what he says. Um, Let me read it out of a slightly different translation. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Another way to say that is that the body of sin would be rendered ineffective, would be rendered uh, oblivious to those influences. Right? Uh, God's goal and the way we will overcome sin is this, when all those parts of us that want to interact with sin are no longer moved by sin. Now, when's that going to happen? We want that? You know, the... The girl goes by without hardly any clothes on, and you just go—you just—it just doesn't even phase you, right? I'm not there yet, right? But but he, that's what he's saying here. He's saying that uh, the body of sin will be rendered ineffective. Okay, it will not be lured or pulled by sin. Anybody there yet? Right? Uh, maybe in some areas. Hopefully, uh, you've experienced some victory where uh, the power of sin. It's no longer pulling you. Well, how does this really work? Well, I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly, but let me give a couple of thoughts. Um, where does sin get its power from? Hmm? What is it that makes our body of sin respond to the hero in the romance novel, to the beautiful girl, to the wealthy home, right? Uh, to these things that we're drawn to, Where does it get its power? Well, obviously, what we hope will happen is that these things will make us happy, right? We're convinced that uh, our life is pretty good, but we're missing out on something. This is Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Satan came along and said, you know, life's good. you got all the fruit you want, except one. You know, God's holding back. There's something better, and God doesn't want you to have it. Right? That's the power and draw of sin, isn't it? Okay, uh, The wife, the husband, the house, the things you have are not enough. There's something better, and I know if I had that something better, I would be happier. I would be more satisfied and more content and more fulfilled. There's something missing in my life, and that's the thing that's going to fill it. Right? That's the lie of Satan and of sin. That um, that, that beautiful girl... Not the beautiful girl I have, but that beautiful girl is going to make me more happy. That super husband guy who's, you know, Mr. Wonderful, he's going to make me happy. Okay, that, you know, latest game, uh, Nintendo, Xbox, Wii, whatever game, you know, that's going to be the thing that's going to, you know, make my life full and complete, right? So, we're drawn to those things because we believe those things are going to fulfill me in some way, are going to give my life meaning or purpose or significance in some clear and direct way. And if I have that, then life will be full and rich and good. So, how does this work? He says that we died, the old man died to make the body of sin rendered ineffective, to make it so that it's not drawn to those things any longer. Uh, We're unmoved, we're unimpressed. And key word there, it says, not that it does, but that it might. important to underline that word, that it might. That the old man died with Christ so that it might render powerless and ineffective the body of sin. Key word, might. In other words, there's a new potential for us there that was not there before. It's not guaranteed, though. We can, if we choose buy into the lie, and still pursue this this old reality that sin will, will bring pleasure and contentment and happiness, ultimate fulfillment to me. But what Jesus did on the cross, crucifying our old man with him, he did that so that it might render powerless the body of sin. And with the result that we would be set free and no longer be a slave to sin. Okay, and the sad reality is, as we look back, especially as believers, and we look at this objectively, not not in our own life because it's too close, but step back, we know that people who have gone down this road and said, yeah, you know, if I could have that, it would make me happy. We know that it becomes to them a, a bondage. Right? They think uh, numbing all their problems with alcohol will fix things, but it becomes a bondage. They think the brief momentary pleasure of drugs will will give them something they did not have before, but then it becomes to them a prison, a bondage. Right? Every kind of addiction, every kind of a sin becomes nothing more than a prison cell for those who submit to it. It's a bondage. And Paul says that Christ's death on the cross was to set us free from sin, right? to no longer be held captive and bondage to those desires in us. Well, how does that work? Uh, How is it, and why does it not seem to be working sometimes for me? Why is it that I still, even though I know it's not true, uh, I see things, I'm drawn to things, I'm tempted by things, and I still think, you know, my life would be better if. I would be happier if. I want that because it's going to give me something I need to fill my life. So how does it take away the power? How does Christ's death and the old man dying rob the body of sin of its power? Well, this is how it does it. He says in verse 7, When we died with Christ, we were set free. Okay, finished thing. We were set free from the power of sin. Okay, we have been set free. What God has done, put in place is a finished, accomplished, completed work for us. When Christ died on the cross, He broke the power of sin over us. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we shall also live with Him. Here's the secret. And we're going to look more next week. But here's the first thing. The power of sin is broke. Not just that, uh, that we break our battle with sin. But it's broken in that God replaces sin with something so much better. The reality is that what we think sin will bring for us highlights true and legitimate needs in our life. We need love. We need significance and meaning. We need a life with purpose. We need to worship something bigger than ourselves. If we don't worship God, we worship football teams or rock stars or other incredibly flawed people. We need to worship something. We need to belong to a group that is going somewhere, that has meaning and significance greater than ourselves. We need those things. Uh, Sin has claimed and promised to meet those needs, but it can't. But praise God, God can, right? Uh, He uh, will satisfy us completely in Himself. And what, what Paul is saying is here, look, we are no longer we are dead to those things, so that we can now be alive, living with God. We can live with God. We will live with God through Christ. We have relationship with Him. The reason the power of sin is broken is that everything that we thought we could get from those things, we should now be turning to God to receive from Him. You know, it's it's interesting. Um, And and, and we know this is true. And there's so much evidence that sin can't satisfy. You look at rock stars. You look at movie stars. You look at every famous person. You look at wealthy people who have everything, who have the house, who have the pretty girl, uh, and more pretty girls, who have everything. And they're the most miserable, unhappy people in the world, right? You'd think we would get this. You'd think a switch would go on and go, oh, oh, it doesn't work. Right? We're looking in the wrong place. But sin blinds us. Right? Well, for you and I, that blindedness is broken. And now we have an option, an alternative to those things. And it's a relationship with a God who's so incredibly greater than any of that stuff. Um, you know, a lot of people want to win the lottery. You know, And it's incredible. You look online, and there's literally hundreds of stories of uh, disastrous lottery winners. Here's some of the more interesting ones. Uh, Billy Bob Harrell, Billy Bob Harrell, from this great state of Texas, the a name like that, uh, won uh, after winning a 31 million uh, Texas lottery, 31 million U.S., Billy Bob thought he had it all. Right? Struggling to support his wife and teenage children on his Home Depot salary, the winning seemed like a huge blessing to Harrell. In 1997, he and his wife celebrated in their living room after finding out they'd won the jackpot. Two years later, unable to take the pressure of constantly lending, lending money to his friends and lamenting the strained relationships in his family, Harold shot and killed himself in his in his bedroom. Right. It didn't work. It didn't work. Another couple, Keith uh, Kenneth and Connie Parker, happily married for 16 years. Kenneth. Uh, um, and Connie quickly watched their marriage disintegrate months after they won a $25 million jackpot. According to NBC, ABC News, Kenneth's wife turned cold, kicked him out of the condo they had bought, and told him she was keeping all the money. It was a rather abrupt ending to what seemed to be a strong marriage. Right. Uh, last, uh, last one. Michael Carroll, uh, after winning... 9.7, British, 9.7 million British pounds, about $15 million, thought he would be set for life. Reportedly angry at his life of excess, his wife Sandra left Michael about a year after, when, uh, after he won the jackpot and took their baby Brooke with her. Uh, now, eight years later, Carol has squandered all of his earnings on drugs, gambling, and prostitutes. He is now just as poor, if not worse off, than he was when he started. Right? It's bondage. It is bondage. Right? Sin cannot make you happy. Praise God. He's broken that addiction. But the break doesn't happen until we replace our desire for those things and redirect it to life with God. Right? The reason, the reason we, we do not win with sin is this. We think the battle is only with sin itself. We think that if we can stop this bad habit, uh, if we can cut off this uh, sin that's constantly plaguing us, if we can get control of our temper and our lust and our pride and our selfishness, that, that that's all there is to it. You can't. You can't, right? Because the body of sin, who we are as a person, has to interact with those things every day. And we're hungry people. Hungry at many levels. We must be filled and satisfied. So the problem isn't in the filling and the satisfying. It's where we go to get filled. Paul says now we are free to live with God. Through Christ, through the cross, through the daily work of Christ, putting to death our old person. We now have a new potential for relationship with God. So what it means is this. When I... You know, when I see a pretty girl and I start thinking, "Man, that would that, I got to have that. I got to have this wonderful Superman guy, right?" I got to back up again and say, "No, that's that's the old me, the old me that died, right? That's no longer how I live life. What I need is intimacy with God the Father. That's what my heart longs for. But I'm convinced that most of our sins." Uh, really point to what's lacking in our relationship with God. Our intimacy with Him. Uh, really having a lover in God Himself who who adores us. Right? We don't believe that. So we want that adoration from somebody else. Right? Uh, the break with sin comes not in battling sin, but in uniting with God. In deepening our relationship and our fellowship and our communion with Him. Living to God. Gaining meaning and significance in our life because now our life can be lived to His glory. Can accomplish His purpose. I can gladly yield and bend my will to His will. Knowing that what He wants is so much better. So much better. Uh, that's what it means to live by the cross. But I think, uh, just to say it again, you know, we need the work of the cross in our life daily, right? To daily come back to that point where we recognize Jesus' death not only paid for my sins and brought me forgiveness, but it is by the power of the cross that I break the power of sin over my life today, right now. Right? Let's pray. Just as we bow before God. Uh, Just let the Holy Spirit speak to you about uh, the sins that you still struggle with. And it's just great to know that that God doesn't want to pound you over these things. He doesn't want to beat you up over them. Uh, He doesn't want to make you feel guilty. His desire is just to set you free from them. And Jesus died for you to make that happen because it hurts the Father to see you in such bondage. To see you struggling under the burden and horrible master of sin that can never deliver what it promises. And as you think about those sins, those things, those struggles in your life, just ask God, God, uh, there's a need behind that. There's something I need that only you as my loving Heavenly Father can fulfill. Lord, show me how to see those needs met in Christ, to see you satisfy the deepest longings of my heart with your presence, with your love, with your mission and your purpose. Lord God, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us. And uh, You have forgiven all of our sins and we live under grace. You don't condemn us. You don't beat us up when we fail. You love us and You forgive us. But You so long for us to be delivered, to be living free from sin, uh, to be living in beautiful intimacy and oneness with You. Lord, please draw us to Yourself, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.